0: Heavy Hops is a Scorch Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavy hops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. If you
1: love the way things sound, the best way to accentuate that is to not do
0: anything else. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. I don't often have an emotional response to music. Perhaps it's the prevalence of streaming services and being able to access audio and video content on demand that makes music an accessory sitting and intentionally focusing on a piece of music draws us indifferently in allowing music to consume us with less distraction our imagination can freely roam the architecture the artists create piecework the latest release from oakland california's kowloon walled city drew me in from the start its effective use of negative space to create tension lyrics focusing on finding strength and quiet resilience and visual presentation is striking and impactful the live recordings are captured masterfully by guitarist and vocalist Scott Evans, who joins us to discuss piecework. In the episode notes, you'll find links to the album and video for the title track. Those of you in Colorado may be able to find the Kowloon Kolsch created by Atravita Beer Company. Let's dive and get heavy. Scott Evans, welcome to Heavy Hops. It's a pleasure having you on the show. Hello, Alexi. Thank you for having me. I guess I want to start with the name of the project, uh, Kowloon Walled Cities, because it's a it's a very sort of interesting place and there's a Interesting sort of story behind it and a great name for a heavy band. We are going to talk about your new album and a couple of other things, but I kind of want to start here with the name because it's a very like evocative and interesting name and it sets like a pretty strong visual reference for people. So how did you kind of come to find out about the Kowloon Walled City in China and you know, where does it tie into what you think about when it comes to heavy music?
1: Well, 15 years ago when we were getting this band going. Uh, we were hunting for names and talking to friends and someone friend on the internet just sort of shouted out this name it's a Kowloon Wild City and we, we you know without knowing anything about what it was just the name itself it's like you said it is very evocative it was like well that sounds like something from Blade Runner you know like what an amazing sounding name and uh, we did you know a little internet research and I was like wow this was the most densely populated place in the world at the time and, you know, lawless and uh very dense and crowded. And it just felt like for the, the kind of music that we were writing at the time, all of that resonated a lot. And that was that. Honestly, in hindsight for a bunch of white dudes from America, maybe I I don't know that I would do it again. You know, I am happy to say that I've had a lot of people say what you just said, which is that they've gone based on the band name. They've done a lot of reading and learned about part of the world that they didn't know existed. I know people who have bought... There's this incredible photo book by a photographer named Greg Girard, uh, who spent years documenting Kellenwald City while it still existed. It's an incredible book. It's also really expensive. But I know people who have gone and bought that. I guess on balance, it's okay. But uh, I feel a little weird about it in hindsight. I've had a lot of people say, wow, what a great name. And I'm like, eh, you know, sort of slightly on the regret pile, but what isn't?
0: Like, I was sort of looking at some photos uh, from it before. And I feel as though, in a way, when I listen to your band and Kowloon Walled City, and I think of sort of the use of space and how, especially with piecework, but I mean, going back through the catalog, that is sort of a theme as building suspense through using negative space. That's how I sort of interpret that. And so Kowloon, Walled City, the place is the exact opposite of that in so many ways. It's, I would imagine, incredibly suspenseful experience going there, but the place is completely utilized.
1: Right. And uh, when we started the band, we were more everything in your face. You know, the first record or two are more claustrophobic and relentless. And that was kind of the vibe that we were originally working with. And I think whatever happened after gambling on the richer scale, we sort of shot ourselves out into space. And that has, we've just kept orbiting since. Definite shift in space and use of space. And I think part of it also is that we were we were recording our early stuff in a in a practice space. Those first two records were recorded in our practice space. And then we started recording in a good sounding studio. And that really changes, I mean we could still do the same thing in a smaller, drier room, but being in like this big, lively room just makes you want to relish like things being in that room without always filling up the space.
0: So this uh, this feeling that you're talking about of the space that you're in and how it kind of impacts how you're viewing the composition of your material and the impact it has. Is that something that you also feel like in live spaces? So performing in an extraordinarily large place in comparison to like a a tiny club, is it different because there are many more people in it and the sound is a little different than in a big space where you are just yourself and the bandmates? We've gotten to play in a couple of Pretty
1: big venues opening for bigger bands. And, you know, inevitably in those, you sound check to an empty venue, right? And so then it just sounds like you're in like an enormous cave. And that is a strange experience for sure. But I think that the real answer to the question is that once that is written into the music and you're able to play it with conviction, it comes off no matter what. And so when we're in a tiny carpeted practice space or if we're in a tiny shitty venue, you know, it's just crowded with people or whatever, it's all in the material and you can feel it. You know, when you step back and let everything breathe, it is a tangible, you know, it's in the air and it just feels different than hammering away the whole time.
0: You mentioned gambling on the Richter scale as sort of a changing point in some way. Can you sort of talk about what that means, like musically and where you sort of, why you decided to make a shift at that particular point? Well, it was after gambling, it was container ships. And I remember doing some
1: interviews right after container ships came out and people were saying like, yo, this is dramatically different than everything the band has done before. Was that on purpose? and we kept saying no like it's not that different i don't understand but i guess in hindsight now i see it and part of it is sort of like this thing where you know you maybe you don't notice changes in yourself you know cuz you see yourself every day and then you see a picture of yourself 5 years ago and go oh wow i look very different and i think container Chips was kind of like that jason pace our original guitar player left the band our friend John Howell, who is in this incredible band called Tygon, definitely strongly recommend that everyone listen to Tygon, Just a really underrated Bay Area band. He joined and Pace was a fantastic guitar player. John is a like a Martian and really just brings like this very strange... I don't know. He's a really weird guitar player. He's great. We love our John. And uh, something about what we were writing... I'm not sure I can give a good answer to this, dude. It, we, we did a, a split with Fight Amp and the band, Ladder Devils, that we recorded at uh, Shark Sharkbite, which is the studio that I work at a lot now. And that was our first time recording in a big space. And there's some space in those songs. And I think that was like the seed of us going, oh, oh, we don't need to always be screaming feedback and drowning out the drums and filling the room. For whatever reason, we started working on writing container ships. And that was the goal. And we were still writing in a tiny, again, carpeted space. But we could tell what it was going to sound like when we were in a better room. So I don't have a good answer other than, you know, it was one of these things that happened. Like the band was never supposed to change. We were supposed to just do the same thing over and over again. And we accidentally changed.
0: Well, accidental changes are great. And that's a valid point as well, is that in those moments when those changes are occurring, you don't see that. It's more of our presence is biased now that we can look back on those things and say, oh i can identify these particular things that occurred then created some kind of change it's easy to sit in armchairs now or behind microphones and identify specific things but in those moments you're living in a in a different time and so you don't rationalize it in that way
1: yeah i mean i remember interviewers like acting like i was a little bit like i was putting them on you know they're like what do you mean you, you nothing's different you know and i was like i swear to god we just we wrote the record the same way We got in a room and recorded it. Like, I don't know what to tell you. The only real difference that I could think about was that vocally, things had changed a little bit, partially because I had had a lot of actual physical throat problems and partially because I guess the material was different. So, you know, I was trying to fit that. But beyond that, it was like, I don't know. I don't know. We did felt like we did the same thing. And but yeah, you know, in hindsight, okay, we didn't really
0: do the same thing let's jump into the the present and talk about uh, piecework for a second. So the album came out on October 8th through Neurot and Gilead, which is a pretty awesome combination. There's some themes in this album that are near and dear to you and that are important but I guess we can walk back a little bit and talk about kind of how the album came together, because it had been six years since the last album. Walk us through kind of why you decided to pick this up again and where your sort of starting points were for the compositions. So it's funny, I think a
1: bunch of people have said like, hey, what made you decide to get back together? And we were never not together. We played shows, we did tours, we did a couple of splits. We we were a band. We had band practice. We had a constant idiotic group chat going like you know we did band stuff we did have a drummer change after grievances jeff our original drummer left the band we had another drummer our friend julia played with us for about a year and then she moved away and then dan joined dan snedden he played in early graves i don't know if you ever listened to early graves very sick sort of like punk grind from the bay he was in early graves forever And so he was used to playing fast and you know, he had to kind of like he didn't want to join the band at first. He's like, no, I can't do this. We're like, come on, Dan, we really think you can do this. Like it's worked out great. He really can do it. He's a fantastic drummer. We did some touring with him and we started writing and everyone was into it. I wanna say in like 2017, you know, years ago, we started writing and had a couple of songs, but it was just slow going. And if my memory is right, sometime later that year, John and I got in gear for writing and really like found more of a rhythm. We would bring songs back to the practice room and sort of hammer them out. And we had a lot to work on every week. We recorded finally in like 2018. And then the record just sat waiting for vocals because I fucked up basically. And, uh, As writers blocked as I could be on vocals. So, you know, that took, it was a solid, we did a tour with Neurosis a year later, still hadn't recorded vocals, played a couple of those songs that I had written vocals for. And then sometime in 2020, I finally got my shit together and got the record, the remainder of the record written and tracked my vocals and mixed. So, you know, the writing in a way, as far as like a band being in a room and writing, was pretty normal and took a year or whatever. And then I kind of fucked everything up by, you know, taking forever on the vocal
0: parts. When you kind of came in with the vocal parts and the lyrics and everything, what were some of the drivers that gave you the impetus to put those words behind the music?
1: It's actually a hard question to answer because I was struggling a lot with, you know, who needs to hear this? Who cares what I have to say? Why are we doing this? And honestly, I still kind of feel that way. I don't think I'm very interesting and I don't think that I don't know that my perspective is novel or, you know, needed, but I guess, uh, I don't know, man, I feel like I should have a better answer to this. I I talk to friends a lot about why we make things. I actually spent some time in therapy trying to get my brain straight a little bit and i guess in the end i was just like i made this thing with my friends and they're counting on me and let's push through this and see what comes out and for me a lot of writing always is dealing with blank page syndrome you know like if the blank page is your enemy and i think i had forgotten that so you know you're waiting for like god to come through the clouds and tell you like oh here's the thing you need to write about that's just never going to happen for me anyway like what's gonna happen is you just need to start doing the work and see what comes out and once i really finally committed to that and it was it was uncomfortable and i always could find something else i'd rather be doing you know but once i committed to that it was you know then you sort of like have opened the tap and water starts coming out and you can finally start shaping things.
0: It is a little harder like once you kind of begin to interpret something as a chore instead of as a something that like you really want that is coming from a place of inspiration. You know, I never wrote lyrics myself, but I struggled quite a bit with uh, creative writing, just with exactly the same thing in terms of having a page in front of me, having some ideas that are sort of floating around but that i would then sort of wait to come together and i realized that that strategy was never going to get me exactly to having anything done because of precisely the things you were saying so i guess like when you're thinking about expression as your words versus the tones that you create how are they sort of like different because one clearly kind of came a little bit before was it because it's collaborative or Is it because that it's not words, so it's a little bit different in terms of what type of expression it is? Well, as
1: far as writing music goes, that is collaborative and. You know, it's sort of like playing a team sport instead of an individual sport. You know, with a team sport, you're expected to show up, practice twice a week or three times a week. Or if you're in a running club, you know, like you got to get up at six in the morning because everyone's going running. Like it's very different than if you're running on your own. And the vocals and the lyrics basically became running on my own while band practice or writing with John was we could we could hold each other accountable for showing up, for bringing ideas, that kind of thing. And I think other bands maybe would have treated the situation a little differently when you know we did all this work we recorded this record and then nothing is happening they would have killed their singer but i'm really grateful and i think it speaks to the relationship that we've developed over however long it is that everyone was super cool about it they knew that this was difficult for me they knew that it wasn't going to make it any better to put pressure on me maybe it would have actually maybe i needed a deadline in the end i think part of it my friend shane who's in the band great falls i don't know if you're familiar with them. They're fantastic one day he you know he knew that this was ongoing and i don't remember the exact talk we had but he was basically like when could you finish this by i was like i don't know shane i don't want to talk about it he's like well let's just say like you know if you want to have the record out like on this date you know when would you need to be done with vocals and i was like all right all right well i guess this you know and that was the final push i needed to just be like okay i have set deadlines for myself just fucking do it already and that was really helpful so thanks
0: shane you're listening to heavy hops we'll have more from scott evans of kowloon walled city shortly there are a few things happening in the world of heavy hops and scorched tundra at the moment i want to share you can find tickets to Scorch tundra present shows at scorchtundracom tundra.com tickets and be sure you're in chicago on labor day weekend 2022 we've also created a crowdfunding source for all things heavy hops and Scorch tundra if you love what we do and want to support us find the donate link in the episode notes and give what you'd like Giving any amount will grant you access to our Discord community and an opportunity to contribute to making this show and Scorched Tundra content the best it can be. Please also consider sharing the episode with nerds in your life, rating us, and giving a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps others find us. Thanks for this moment and back to our conversation with Scott Evans. What are some of the themes that you were kind of contending with piecework? Uh, Just looking at it visually, it's a very, very striking photo that is on the cover. I thought that the video for the title track, the aesthetic of it, walked you through the place that the photo is from, and it gave like a little more sort of context to the music without having lots of people in it and being more of a still video in a way instead of like a traditional performance video. Can you kind of walk us through a little bit about some of the themes that were important for this album? Well, I'm really happy actually to hear you say that
1: about the cover photo and the video. I thought they were really, really beautiful and sort of strange choices for album artwork and didn't know how they would translate for people. So it sounds like you were getting exactly what I was getting from the photo, which is great. So the woman who shot that, her name is Melissa Anishavi. She is a photographer in, I think, Toronto. She's in Canada. She does a lot of like abandoned house type photography. And her work is beautiful. She's like a Hasselblad film photographer. There's a lot of people who do that kind of work and the visual trend with it is this very hyped look. It's like this sort of HDR, like, you know, surreal look. And one of the things I love about her work is that it has none of that. You know, it it is... unadorned and beautiful. You know, I just feel like that. When I saw her photos, I was like, oh man, if this woman would let us use her photos, this is exactly right for the thing that we're trying to do here. And she was down, which is great. She also shot the video. So that was a pretty great thing to get to do. And it was a little bit weird. You know, it was like, we don't know what footage we'll be able to get. You know, a lot of those shooting those locations is you don't know what you're getting into. You don't know the condition a house is going to be in, but it came out great. It does the stuff that you're saying. So it, again, it's it's nice to hear that. That all came after the record. It always does for us, the artwork and even the title. Themes wise, overall, this is going to be me doing that thing that I just said about container ships. It's just a collection of songs. There wasn't a theme. I, was, I don't know what I was doing, etc. Stepping back and looking at it a little bit, there are a few things that run throughout. Uh, my dad died four or five years ago, and there are a bunch of nods to him. There's a bunch of nods to some other friends' dads who they lost. There's a bunch of stuff about my mom, her mom, my dad's mom, who were all amazing women who I think had, I don't want to say, always say hard lives, but a lot of challenges, a lot of quiet heroism. And a lot of warmth and love, despite being in, you know, just having incredible pressure and expectations and what must have been a very frantic day-to-day. I think my goal with some of the songs was to, to write about them and think about them. And I think that that went okay. A little bit about my wife also, who is a similar hero. That's a pretty good rundown. Because there's also a lot of nods to music or books that I was reading or listening to. There's one song that's... Remember the the last Low record, Double Negative? When they released that album, first thing that they released for was this trip Tick video it was for three songs in a row it was like 12 or 15 minutes long and i watched it when it came out i remember distinctly watching it just sitting there alone in my studio watching it and then it ended and i just absolutely burst into tears like it just punched me right in the gut i don't even i still don't know why so one of the songs kind of touches just on that you know it's like about that song and about whatever that experience was and you know a nod to low who i think are one of the best bands that we have one of the best bands doing it for Decades now, uh, so yeah, it's sort of this cross section of real people and music and fiction and nonfiction that I was ingesting throughout.
0: The sentiment that you were sort of describing when watching those videos was a little similar to my response to listening to piecework, actually when it came my way and I took it in. It was a pretty powerful album. I was trying to kind of figure out why it was. I had kind of read through some of the lyrics as I was reading it. The photo is very striking as well it's hard to point to like you know even one or two things specifically that are like oh that was the trigger or what kind of elicited that type of emotional connection and reaction to the music it was a little harder for me to define which is a really good thing i think from like an affect standpoint but i think why it was difficult was the sort of again, referring back to sort of the, the negative space that occurs in this album and how it is used to draw suspense really, I think puts weight on everything that is coming and sort of you feel the suspense, but you also kind of feel the pent up patience. Like I'm imagining your drummer who like loves heavy, fast music. Uh, now I know this, but him like, holding back. I mean, obviously probably has learned more restraint over time playing with you, but that sort of the feeling of the, are we doing it? We're going to do it. And then that sort of combined with the wait and then the go is in sometimes with this type of music, it's like it creates a very choppy listening experience. But I think that That was what I sort of extracted from it was more that the sort of patience that was involved, maybe in the making of it, or for me, the patience in listening, and then the affect of the space and the tension that was in that space was what brought that emotion out in a way. And so I came to that conclusion because I couldn't point to one thing specifically. It was something that the whole piece was doing. And so that is a theme that I also saw. Kind of throughout. I mean, that's great to
1: hear. I don't know that I can say, hey, that's exactly as we planned. I mean, we, I think we were trying to do similar things that we felt like were successful. On our last record or two but trim some of the fat that you know sometimes you have like go-to phrasings or i don't know structures or whatever that you know rhythmic forms or whatever that come easy and i think we were trying to push back on those like we've used those enough let's try and really question what we're doing there and see if we can make it work without those and there are records that i can point to by bands where i feel like they have done that so much that it's like they unwrote music almost and it's a cool like I feel like the last Portishead record was kind of like that they wanted to undo I don't know this but just felt like they wanted to the last autolux record too. it felt like they wanted to undo or maybe the second autolux record they just wanted to be so sure that they weren't falling back on anything normal that it was like question everything and and What we were doing, I think, was more like coarser than that, but still trying to come out in the end with songs and, you know, but just in a more compact, intentional way, maybe than the previous couple of records, while still incorporating all of these things that we thought work and also presenting it recording wise in this sort of austere, simple, somewhat realistic sounding way. Which for me, you know, when I listen to like like the PJ Harvey and John Parrish record, the first one that they did, uh, or like there's a Khaki King record that she did called Until We Turn Red. Like those records to me sonically, they just sound like these real people doing real stuff. They are beautiful in their simplicity. So that's, for me, sort of like the dream that I'm chasing with the sonic presentation of this stuff.
0: So how do you sort of get there? And what sorts of like production levers are you pulling with getting to that simplicity?
1: I think the trick is to not pull too many levers or at least when you do pull them, always have the goal in mind, you know? So we've always recorded live, not the vocals, but everything else. If I'm cleaning things up after, or we're going to fix mistakes or whatever, the idea of a mistake is I've recorded enough bands now that I know where a lot of bands fall on this stuff. And so for instance, I'll leave lots of crap in if I was recording your record, you know, there'd be like finger noise between on breaks and, guitar helm at the end of the song and all this. And you inevitably would ask me to take all that stuff out. And I'd say, oh, it happens over and over again. And for us, it's just leaving all that stuff in. We do some stuff to try and I think heighten it a little bit. For instance, we are recording with the guitar amps all isolated because that lets me do certain things with the drum sounds. But maybe we'll go back and recut like a clean section so that we can open up the ISO doors and have the room mics that are for the drums really also working on those guitar sounds, right? And then that sort of makes it, yeah, it's a little fake, but what isn't? But it does sort of sonically bring everyone into that same space and feel like, hey, I'm really there for this.
0: That's interesting because I think that that is maybe another thing that I was picking up in like a subconscious way is that I felt like I was in the room with the people as they were making it. I think that's effective live recording. That's fantastic. I mean, the truth is, I think if we really just put one mic in the middle of the room and gave that
1: to you, you know know what that sounds like. It sounds shitty. So the goal is more to try and translate what it would feel like to be in the room. You know that's a little more involved than just putting one mic in the room and saying, hey, here it is, an honest recording. But it's always in pursuit of that anyway. like that you know, realistic or hyper-realistic kind of experience instead of glossing things up. And we do very few overdubs and layers and that kind of thing. I think we all have learned that if you love the way things sound, the best way to accentuate that is to not do anything else it was easy to do i think in the days of like when you were recording on your friends 8 track or 16 track but now that everyone's recording into a computer it's much harder to do like oh let's do four more guitar parts let's add this and that and i go through this all the time with bands and i you know i just always want to communicate to them like look if you really like the way this sounds you don't have to do anything else just let people hear this and with us we don't have to have that discussion we all just kind of know it by now so again, it's sort of the lever. It's like it's not pulling a lever, right? Or it's like the reverse lever.
0: Yeah, or just not even seeing levers necessarily either. Oh, there's levers everywhere, dude. Believe me, <laughs> they're all around me. As far as sort of like performing this material, have you got some plans to uh, to play this stuff live and let the world hear it from stage?
1: As you know, a challenging question given everything. We released the record with no shows booked, and it felt very strange. Uh, we also released the record without vinyl in hand, which was very strange. But this is like everyone's life right now. We finally decided, like, okay, let's book a couple of record release shows at least, or we'll book, you know, a local one. We decided we're going to do two in one day—one in San Francisco during the day, and one in Oakland. So we're doing that in November 13th. That should be fun and cool. I think I have no idea if anyone's going to show up. I don't know what shows are like now. You know, I don't know. In a bunch of talks for tours and shows next year, and it is. I don't know, man. It is hard to book this stuff with your entire back put into it. Like It just feels a little bit like, is this the right thing or not? Uh, I've been to a couple of shows in the last month and they they were great. And especially in the Bay Area, we've got like, I don't know, over 90% vaccinations. The venues are all and masks required. You look around at the crowd, 100% masks on. Feels pretty good. Not a given at all from some of the stories I'm hearing from friends who are touring right now. So, who fucking knows? We're figuring
0: it out. Yeah, absolutely. There is a bit of uncertainty for sure. When this album came to me again, like it was a pretty striking album and so I think it's... I wouldn't say that I'm desensitized, but I'm definitely... I feel like I've heard a lot of things over the years and so the barrier of what it takes to kind of get something out of me is pretty high. So I think it's an interesting thing that I personally am interested in seeing live because I wonder, because we've all been sort of like alone or with only people immediately around us for a long time, <laughs> like uh, if I'm going to feel like totally differently when I'm experiencing this with other people around me, because it was a very solitary experience, like sort of listening to this and afterwards interpreting the lyrics a little bit it felt yeah it was just like a very strong feeling and so i wonder how that's going to play with other people around me
1: i also wonder i mean you know we have played with a lot of very heavy bands for years now and it always is a little bit of a funny fit like i mean our band is obviously loud and heavy and all that but you know if you put us next to yob we played this fest in la a couple years ago where we played If I remember right, we played after Gate Creeper and before Nails. And it was like, you just kind of feel a lot of people in the crowd being like, what is this? Like, where's the riffs? You know, I don't know. I don't know what it'll be like for this record.
0: We'll find out. With the sort of recording in mind, obviously, we're seeing a lot of sort of delays with the vinyl releases. Is that a medium that you're sort of in preference for with regard to maybe how you're recording it or how you interpret people should be imagining this record?
1: No, the only thing that we keep in mind, I think, is that, you know, ideally we'd like an album to fit on one record, not a double LP. But that's never really been a risk for us anyway. We're definitely a less is more, you know, like to me, the perfect length record is like Rain and Blood, which is, you know, 29 minutes or whatever. So even though we're playing like slower, much slower music. I still try to keep things pretty tight. But besides that, you know, I guess I I being an old person do think of, you know, records as a single thing that you listen to instead of, you know, I put a song on my playlist kind of thing. But none of that is on our minds when we're writing. We we'll write a bunch of songs and we hope they fit together. If we record a couple extra songs and we feel like they're not as good or they don't fit, they don't make it onto the record and that happened here. Vinyl is the one format that people still buy, you know, for better or worse, given that. I mean, right now, you're probably aware of this, but pressing plants are telling labels a year right now. It's insanity. I mean, I I don't really understand how like independent labels and bands survive that. Like, it just seems like. You know, at this point, vinyl, okay, just give up, right? It's for Bruce Springsteen reissues and like we need to make CDs cool again or something. I don't know. Or someone needs to finally build a bunch of vinyl pressing equipment instead of just, you know, using stuff that was made in nineteen sixty. But that said the way it is right now, vinyl is the only thing that people spend money on. So if you you know, if you're gonna play shows and have a merch table, you know, with shirts and CDs, that is tough. And I don't know how that's gonna go. We we don't have a vinyl date right now. Our the press plant is in new orleans so they were things were already slow for them and then got super fucked up by the hurricane you just have to wait you can't fault anyone for this stuff. They're doing their best. They're a small independent business. I'm hoping that we'll have records in like February, but I I just made that month up. You know, I don't know.
0: No, there's definitely some issues with production and I think it's been pretty problematic for everyone involved. As far as other sorts of like a video or visual presentation, are there plans for other sorts of visuals to accompany the album?
1: Yeah, that's a funny one because our band has never really been like a visual content kind of band, but in 2021, it seems like it's necessary, right? So we did do the one video for this record. We recorded a few weeks ago a couple of songs live at Shark Bite with video. They came out really well. And I've just been too busy to get them, you know, mixed and ready to go and get them graded and all this stuff. I mean, there's not their one take live thing. So it's not, there's not a lot to it, but it still takes time. Hopefully, at least one of those we'll all agree is worth releasing. And beyond that, I don't know. There are music videos that I love, but it is it is hard for me to imagine our band producing them. Good videos take certain types. There's no videographer in our band. There's no graphic designer in our band. You know, we don't have like a I don't know a Jake Bannon or something like that. And uh, I definitely recommend if you're going to start a band, ensure that one person in the band is a visual artist. It'll just make your life easier.
0: Yeah, someone's a visual artist, someone's really good at social media, one person's very good at finance, and a couple people are good at writing music and one owns a rehearsal space, right?
1: Yeah, if you can definitely put that on the Craigslist ad or whatever, I think you'll be happier. We have, no one is good at anything in our band, so it's a little bit challenging,
0: always has been. Well, I think making music is something that is important and there's definitely some skill in among your musicians for that. Got to have that before you have anything else, I think. This has been a really uh, awesome conversation, Scott. Do you have any parting thoughts for our audience or anything you'd like to impart before we uh, wrap up here?
1: I just found out that Courtney Sparks' 20-year-old record, Bless You, just got added to Spotify after, I don't know if it was ever streaming today. And I recommend that everyone go listen to it five times and realize what a fantastic record it is.
0: Well, I'll make sure to put a link to that in the episode notes and to uh, the video for piecework that we were discussing. Yeah, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, Alexi,
1: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.